Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. Thank you for being here. My name's Darius Nomderon, your host. This is brought to you by Bullet Map Studio, and today we have got a social entrepreneur, a musician, a blogger, and a, and a learning support specialist at Harriet Watt University, who's called Steve McHugh, and or as his blog is known as Steve Dyslexic McHugh. Steve, it is great to have you here on the podcast. Uh, thank you very much for having, having me. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting to hear your story, Steve, because I, I, I haven't heard your whole story yet. I just stumbled across you and you're very close to where I live. I'm in Edinburgh and you're just across the water in Fife. And so I thought it'd be really good to have our first conversation on the podcast. So that's kind of what we're going to do here, listeners. Um, and we're going to go through the usual nine questions of, to hear Steve's dyslexia story. So Steve, I'm really looking forward to hearing your dyslexia story. Okay, thank you for asking me. Give me the opportunity to share it. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because you didn't have a very straightforward time at school like so many other dyslexic children and you've, you're doing so many things with dyslexia right now. So it's going to be interesting to follow that whole arc and spend this hour we've got or just under an hour just sort of encapsulating your story. So I like to ask people kind of, where did the story begin? You know, what, what was life like before you started to experience some of the struggles of dyslexia, before you kind of woke up to your dyslexia? What, what was the sort of early beginnings, as it were, of your story, would you say? Well, I remember at school, I, was always, I always struggled with the reading side of things. And the main problem for me was the writing side of things. I was never, I've never been able to write uh, cursive ever. And um, although when I was at primary school, I really liked school, um, it was very supportive and doing creative stuff. And, you know, it was really a good environment for me. When I moved on to secondary school, what I increasingly found was I couldn't pass exams. I couldn't write fast enough. I was continually getting uh, negative kind of reports. So the reports would say, yeah, I'm a bright guy, right kid, but unfortunately I can't show it on, on exams. And uh, so basically what happened when I was about 14, I basically stopped going and um, I went I went out to work. <laughs> so I, I did things like tree surgeoning. So I used to run around underneath trees where people were cutting branches off and, and, and you know, picking up bits of debris from from that, I used to do milk rounds with people. Anything I could do to earn money between the ages of 14 and 16. I just didn't think I had any academic ability. I didn't take any exams because I didn't think I could pass an exam. So what was your... So primary school, you actually enjoyed. And then yeah, high school school's. turned out to be a real trouble, a bit of a nightmare. And then 14 years old, you leave start working, picking up odd jobs here and there. What would you say was your wake-up call for well, dyslexia, to start understanding dyslexia. your dyslexia? Well, I when I was 35, I went back to school. I was lucky enough through one of my jobs to get a day release. And that, that day release, I did maths and stuff and managed to pass basic skills. 
And from that basic skills, I went on and did a, what they call um, access to education to get me into university. And I went to, I did a year at, um, I did a year at one university and it was a complete, a bit of a, a bit of a mare really. The handwriting thing became a problem again. When I was at the other places, the handwriting wasn't too much of a problem. But when I went to this uh, Roehampton University, I did teaching studies and geography and the handwriting was just a nightmare. I couldn't do it. One of the teachers even said to me, how are you ever going to pass an exam when you're writing like this? So, of course, I didn't do I Even though I passed the teaching study side of it, I couldn't pass the geography. Um, okay. And then what I then did was I thought, I'm not sod this. I'm not going to I'm not going to give up. And that good old dyslexic determination came in. And I went to another university. I think it was the East London University. And where somebody mentioned about uh, dyslexia, there I got a test or an assessment or a screening or whatever, an assessment. And they said, yes, you are dyslexic. And they gave me access to funding and I got a computer and I got a computer keyboard. And I, back then, I think it was, let's try and think, 93. So assistive technology was quite basic back then. Um, but the biggest thing for me was access to a computer keyboard. It meant I could actually communicate in the word without having to worry about how people were going to look at my writing and make judgments about me because my writing was bad. And, and that's what I felt happened at, um, at, uh, at Roehampton, particularly with the geography side of things. So, yeah, the computer keyboard. Okay, so that was interesting. You found the power of the keyboard really helped you at the second university. Tell us more about that. Well, the main thing that was, was my handwriting. It was, it was absolutely awful, uh, and it's still awful. Um, and the good thing about the computer keyboard is it meant I could communicate and do assignments and do work without people looking at my handwriting and saying, oh, how can I actually read this? I'm never going to be able to read this. And, and we did have, I did have, was given access to early assistive technology and I really tried hard to work with um, text help, I think it was, text help and dragon. And what, at the time, it wasn't very good. And, but the problem for me was I was given this assistive technology and I just kept on trying to make it work and it, and it, and it never did for me. It never managed to pick up my accent. Dragon didn't. And I thought, and when I was using um, text help, it just got in the way. I found it got in the way. Voice so, to text. Yeah, it just. Yeah. I, I, I tend. What I tend to do is I tend to. I just tend to bash away with the with the keyboard, get my ideas out, and then once I've got my ideas out, I would I would then try and piece them together in a in a kind of in a way that would then makes make more sense. So it's all so about trying to get. Of... What kind of university were, course were you doing exactly at the time, that second time? I, was, I just went and did a BSc Honours in Geography. So that was okay. a four-year course, uh, and which I really, I really loved. In the first year, I did politics as well as an elective, which I've always been suspicious of politicians. So I thought I'd do this elective. And what I found out was that my mistrust of politicians was was well deserved. The funny thing was I got a, a straight A's for politics. <laughs> so, so, so the story so far is that you 
didn't do well at high school, but then you discovered the keyboard at 35 and this assistive tech, not the voice to text, but the actual typing really helped you. And what happened after that? Well, while I was at university, I did, I volunteered for something called the East London Connection, which was you went, you were going into schools and you were mentoring young people who were, who were struggling at school. And that gave me the idea to go and be, do my PGC in inclusive education. So after my do, after passing my my honours degree, I went on and did a year PGC postgraduate certificate in education. It's a teaching qualification, and um, which I duly passed, and that set me on my career as as an inclusive education teacher, basically, and uh, that meant going into colleges and working with uh, young people with myriad, all kinds of disabilities, all kinds of issues from from dyslexia to, as I said before, tetraplegia, which I hate the word. I, I, I wish I, there was a better way of saying it. I think medical model terminology uh, to autistic, to uh, learning disabled, a wide variety of students on on different courses from computers to English to maths to whatever what it taught me was to be adaptable so uh, and uh, pretty soon i kind of became the the go-to person from the college to to run new courses and in fact i developed a course for engineering students and it was for engineering students who couldn't pass the entry qualification the entry tests to go on engineering on an engineering course so i actually developed a course for young people who couldn't or wouldn't or reading was very low level and uh, so the college gave me a team to work with I trained the team and we developed this engineering course for for these people which worked really well I can't, I'm trying to remember the name of the course but I can't remember the name of the course was it for school children to get into engineering at university yeah, we school kids. They they'd left school and they were trying to get into get back into learning. Okay. So some of them, some of the students were had disabilities. Some of them were what they what they were what they called at the time was disaffected students, and that means students who had been in in trouble basically with the police. Okay. So uh, we we did things like music technology. We did things like engine with uh, mechanical engineering. We did things like. All kinds of various engineering. We tried to keep the edu tried to keep the reading and the and the and the and the writing to a minimum, and it was basically as practical practical as we as we could make it. Okay, so the wake up call for you was going to university uh, at yeah. thirty five. the The main challenge was your handwriting in many ways, and the rewards. You know, I, I'd like to just zoom in on the rewards. What were the rewards gained from facing this challenge? And what I'd be really interested in hearing about is I know that you're involved in lots of different students at college and you've had a lot of exposure in learning technology and so on over the years. And you know where it works and where it doesn't work. And I found it fascinating because before this conversation, I asked you if you knew everything that you knew now, but you in the in your toolkit and you took it back to when you were at school, what difference would it make? 
And you had an interesting response to that that kind of started to spark the beginning of a conversation I'd like to carry on here about assistive tech. So what would you say would happen if you went back to when you were 12, 13, 14 with the tools you've got? Well, I think I think uh, the keyboard would have got, if I had a keyboard, that would have got me through school. But as soon as I'd got to full-time education, uh, that the assistive technology wouldn't just wouldn't wasn't, wasn't developed then at all. And indeed, the early technology I got hold of when I was 36, you know, it was very, very basic. And the, the issue that I have with assistive technology is it's seen as a panacea. It, I, don't, I don't see it as a panacea. I see it, it doesn't work for all students. Uh -huh. uh, and uh, I think what happens is we throw assistive technology at them. And increasingly, universities want to do that. Let's give students uh, assistive technology. Let's not give them access to, to professionals. Let's not deal with any kind of mental health issues that the student might have. Let's not deal with confidence. Let's not deal with self-esteem. You know, it's, it's shown that many dyslexic kids put up with more uh, negative feedback from teachers at school than non-dyslexic kids. It, we see that uh, my own research shows that about, I think it, only about 19% of dyslexic adults were actually assessed at school. So what we've got is many students, many young people leaving school thinking like me that um, I'm not academic and that I can't, I can't go to university. And if you look at the numbers of students in the general population, uh, it's 10% of the population in dyslexic is, are dyslexic. At universities, that, pop, that, that, is, that number is 5%. So many dyslexic students are not accessing university. And that's a waste of their potential. That's a waste of, um, to the economy of this country because dyslexics make great entrepreneurs. I work with dyslexic doctors. I work with you know, dyslexics across all sorts of professions who do a fab job and they succeed because they are dyslexic and in spite of their experiences in education. Does that make sense? It does. And I, I find this quite a lot. I think often if you've got a tool, the tool only really becomes powerful with the appropriate training. It's like going to someone and saying, here is a, a saw and a hammer and a screwdriver. You know, and, and you can do some of the basics with that. But with some decent training with the saw, you can cut straighter better. With the screwdriver, you can, you know, do things better. And just with a little bit extra training, you can create better products, better creations. But often yeah. we just throw this assistive technology at, at kids. I mean, scanning pens, typewriter, you know, the dictation machines. Uh, I don't know, there's just so much, printers and so on, and they're all very powerful. And if they're all put together in the right way, in the right order, in the right sequence, it all works very well. But with dyslexia, you've often got difficulties with sequencing. And, yeah. you know, it's like, show me the process. And you go, well, can you just figure it out? And you're like, well, actually, that's one of the core issues. I have processing difficulties. I have sequencing issues. And so that's when often the training actually makes the tool powerful and the support as well the actual having somebody to talk to having to listen having someone who's going to listen to your frustrations who's going to support you if the, if the universe if you're having a problem with passing a particular assignment you know and you need somebody to to talk to their lecturers or to talk to the college 
you know, to say, you know, maybe this wasn't, if we'd have done it this way, this student would have done it more effectively, you know. Yeah. So it's like three things, you know, you can give people tools, you can give them training and you can give them that support side of things, not, yeah. not just the training support, but the actual psychological confidence, strategic, got you, right. Yeah. I so had one what, student. Go on, no, go on, please, sorry. after you, after you. No, I, I had one student. I had one student who was, who was a really bright guy, but we had, we, it was like for about the first six visits, we had to perform a dance, a little conversation to, to try and encourage him slowly to feel that, to give him the confidence to actually do what, you know, to do the things that he needed to do to develop himself, uh, to, so that he could do what he needed to do more effectively, more efficiently. So sometimes it's about unlearning as well as learning and sometimes we have to unlearn things like you know well my teacher said i was crap at spelling and that means i'm never going to be able to spell do you know mm. what i mean does that make sense yeah. we, and we have to unlearn the strategies that don't work very often very often at school we are given strategies that don't work for many dyslexics and that's all they've got you know so yeah. we need to change the strategy so it works for the student that's why i talk about this dyslexia learning toolbox basically Tell us more about the dyslexia learning toolbox. So we're now at the stage in your story where, you know, you've met this challenge. Um, you're now helping a lot of dyslexics. Uh, actually, let's get to the toolbox in a moment. But could you give the listeners a little bit of a overview of some of the different dyslexia related things that you do? Actually, no. Tell us you're a musician as well. You've, you you yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the different aspects of what you do and get uh, up to well uh, the musician thing was i i just fell in with some guys and uh we became friends and we thought let's start a band and i i did the bass thing and we one of the guys his dad was a schoolkeeper, so we set up a studio in the basement of uh of a school and it happened to be a swimming pool heating room it was a it was like it was like hell it was really hot in there and from <laughs> there that got me into I learned the bass and then I, I did, I went in, was in a number of bands and then I was a professional kind of musician and made a bit of a living from it. So that's the music side of things. Is uh, it, kind of. were you part of a band that any of the listeners might recognize? No, no, not really. Fat Freddy's Cats was one of the names we had. The Nursery was another band. I did a lot of stuff in France and I did a lot of stuff. I kind of dropped off the, what's the word for it? dropped out of society for a while. Like, I used to go to free festivals and, and play at free festivals, Stonehenge, Glastonbury, over, over, Vines Cross. And, and basically what that enabled me to do was to, it, it enabled me to lose my anger, enabled me to lose my frustration. Because when I left okay. school, I was angry and I was frustrated. And, you know, because I felt like a failure. I really did. And I felt that I couldn't. You know, my self-esteem, my self-esteem was was really low way back then. You know, and so the music was very therapeutic for me. The whole music thing. Wow. Which well, I think a lot of people listening will understand that. Uh, I know my daughter, for example, who's dyslexic. She she just loves music. It's a language that uh, she she understands and and just lives in and often. Yeah, t tell us a little bit more about music and dyslexia. Can you share about 
you know, one of the interesting things you said to me before this was, if you cut me in half, I'd be like a stick of rock. I'd be, I'd be dyslexic all the way through. You can't. It's not just a part of you. And yeah. does that relate to your musical side as well? Yeah, I think I think the thing about the music thing is it, um, it it's all about music. It's all about feel. And if it, if the music really works well, it makes you feel good. And if you're feeling good, then you're you know that's where you want to be. You want to be feeling you know. And a good jam with friends is a way of of making you make me feel. It make, really made me feel good and feel that I could accomplish something. Okay, I might not be able to write on a page, but here, listen to this bass line, you know, or listen to this song that I've written. Which was, which was, you know, that's that that was that was a lot of satisfaction I got from doing that. John Lennon was dyslexic. Yeah, yeah, lots of people are. Unfortunately, you know, not many people know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the dyslexics can succeed across all professions, but many of them we won't ever hear about. We'll hear about the famous ones, which is good, but we need to hear about the more a famous doctor. We need to hear about a famous. You know, famous uh, architect, someone who's, who's famous, but in a profession. You know, it's great that it's, uh, John Lennon was dyslexic, but, you know, people that people can look up to and say, yeah, here's a dyslexic teacher. That dyslexic teacher can has managed to succeed in teaching. Yeah. That means I'm a dyslexic in school. I can actually go go ahead and, and do what that teacher's doing. Absolutely. And that is actually what our podcast is all about, because... We've had dyslexic doctors on here, dyslexic dentists, dyslexic architects, dyslexic authors, dyslexic uh, musicians, dyslexic social workers, all sorts of different professions. In many ways, I think that's one of the absence in the whole dyslexia dialogue. It's that it's all famous people, but sometimes we need to hear the stories of the ordinary people who have found a place that that fits them with their dyslexia that is a profession or something that a child can think actually i want to become a vet can i be a vet with dyslexia i haven't got a vet yet so or, or creative you know or just as creative in any way because the creative process will enable a student he might not be able to become a professional painter or a professional artist but that 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 kind of creative thing will enable a young person to hopefully succeed and overcome the mental health issues that they may have got from being at school, which has basically failed them, basically. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. So we've talked about the music side of things. What other stuff do you get up to, Steve? Uh, well, I, I, I blog a lot. Uh, so my dyslexia blog has a quarter of a million blogs, uh, a quarter of a million views on it. Um, I, last year, I started a broadcasting course and I've set up a dyslexia and neurodiversity radio station, which I'm looking for some support with, some help with, if anybody wants to <laughs> put their head above the parapet and offer some support with with. with well, why don't you that. tell the listeners a little bit about that? Uh, well, my first radio, I did a, 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 an hour program, my first program, and that contained three one-hour, three uh, interviews with dyslexic students who talked about their journey from school into into university and their experiences good and bad so we had we had those interviews going we had um music from dyslexic and neurodiverse musicians on the show so it was totally dyslexic focused all the way through and then we talked a little bit about um dyslexic issues 
one of the issues was assistive technology. And I talked a little bit about assistive technology and what it can do and, uh, you know, what sort of assistive technology was out there from apps to text help and all that kind of stuff. So that was the first hour program that did. Fantastic. Which I found was too long. So. We'll put that into the show notes, Steve. So anyone who's listening can just click on the show notes and click through to that uh, um, broadcast. Yeah, so you do unique dyslexic eye. Unique dyslexic eye. I, as in I. Got you. Because we're looking at dyslexia. Lovely. Okay, so we'll put that into the show notes. If you're listening and you want to check that out, just click on the show notes here and you'll see a link towards that that um, broadcast. So you're saying you did an hour, you thought it was too long. Where is it going now? What's the next plan? So uh, yeah, I, I went down to half hour shows. So it wasn't so much it wasn't so much uh, dyslexia interviews that time because Corona had basically come in, and so I didn't have access didn't have access to the students, so to 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 ask questions or but um, again there was music from dyslexic musicians. I'm very keen to show you know to uh, to showcase the talents of dyslexic across the board. I did a, a project called Unique Dyslexic not so long ago which I talked to you about, we got some, we got £10,000 from the lottery. And basically the idea was to set up, uh, we set up five creative workshops uh, across Fife. We got uh, people coming in to the workshops. We did one on music. We did one on fused glass. We did one on art. We did another one on upscaling old furniture. And we did two on those upscaling because they were really popular. And we had 50 people all in all come along to those workshops. And for, the, for some of them, it was the first time they've actually been in a room knowingly with other dyslexics. It was the first time they'd actually shared their experiences with other people about being dyslexic and the barriers and the problems that they had. And we also had um, an event which was like uh, an art, what they call it, things for art, an art show. It's not an art show, but, you know, exhibition, art exhibition as well. And we had dyslexic, again, we had a Sayani movie, Moody, she's a dyslexic. She's a dyslexic. Uh, she plays a harp, and we also had uh, the poet Makar of Sterling come in. She's a dyslexic poet. She came in as well, and she read her poetry or performed her poetry. So it was a whole dyslexia event, uh, dyslexia and neurodiversity. And it was basically all about this is what we can do. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That makes sense. I was over in Fife um, a year ago in Dunfermline and we did a, a talk. I just put it out one week in advance. I did a talk on mind mapping and dyslexia and I think 80, 70 people turned up. And at the end of the talk, I was speaking to the children and the parents. It was children and parents in Dunfermline, a high school in Dunfermline. I'll never forget it because often at the end of my talks, I just ask Put your hand up if you're dyslexic. And for some people, that was the very first time they'd ever told anyone that they were dyslexic. And yeah. I could see some of the fathers just kind of put their hands up. And some of them had tears in their eyes. And, you know, just that process of saying, I am dyslexic, was a combination of tears of some pain and also some tears of relief 
because there's something cathartic about being with other people and saying, hey, I'm dyslexic too. And they're like, oh, wow, I'm not alone. Although you know you're not alone, but when you're with other folk and they speak like you, they think like you, they talk, yeah. you know, you, you start realizing, hey, this is okay. This is normal. Um, so I, yeah. I know how you feel. Many, many dyslexics are feel isolated yes. by their dyslexia. And I, 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 I worked with one student who said he, it's horror. It's a, it's a, it's a, he said he found it easier to tell his parents that he was gay rather than to tell them that he was dyslexic. No way. Yeah, absolutely way. And it's a horrible story. It's a horrible thing to say because what's wrong if he's gay? That's fine. That's great. You know, but to say I'm a, like he was ashamed to say, tell his parents that he was dyslexic what they thought they might think of him and uh, you know so let's uh, maybe you should cut that bit out <laughs> maybe you should cut that bit out maybe that's not not an, not an appropriate no thing to that say. is appropriate i mean that just kind of brings it home that you know there's a lot of mothers and fathers who listen to this podcast they've maybe got an eight-year-old or 12-year-old and they're wondering what can i do to help them you know maybe they've learned how to read but they're now thinking gosh I thought teaching my child to learn to read would solve this dyslexia thing. But actually, dyslexia is a way of thinking that permeates every past aspect of our life. And, you know, some people can get to the point where they feel so embarrassed by it. It's as, it's as embarrassing as coming out being gay. Or in the, that chap's case, more embarrassing, so, which just highlights yeah. that, that challenge for some people. I think this... Dyslexia is about diversity. I think the earlier that the children sort of start talking about it and learning about it, sharing it, the easier it is. Uh, it can be, it can be. Uh, the, the, I think the, the, main, the main issue for young people, I think, is that when, when we're at school, there is a tendency for us to be, go out of the classroom and go and see the learning support person for yeah. many dyslexics. And I think that identifies young people as, as different and that can lead to bullying, and that can lead to all sorts of problems within the classroom environment. And, and that's one of the reasons why I'm keen on inclusion, 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 because non-dyslexic kids can learn a lot from a dyslexic kid, and a dyslexic kid can learn a lot from a non-dyslexic kid. And if they're doing it together, that means uh, in an inclusive environment, that means that the chances of that, that dyslexic kid being bullied or whatever, being seen as different, is not, is, are less the stigma starts to melt. Yeah, and, and there's more of an understanding. So let's move on to question five. We're talking about the journey itself now. What were your yeah. most influential learning moments? Uh, was it a person? Was it a group? Was it a course? Well, what sort of would you say were key learning moments for you that maybe might be of assistance to people who are listening? I think all of them involve teachers really i suppose mm -hmm. uh, i think when i when i when i did the day release course with the council the teacher who ran that course gave me the inspiration to and the confidence to to do the course was very supportive didn't criticize my handwriting at all just you know did you know just supported me in the best way they could way back then then uh, another one was uh, when i when i did my uh, access to education i went along to this thing it was a full-time course I, I i wanted to pack in my job and do this course and um i went in there and the interview basically the interviewer said to me can you tell me a little bit about shakespeare 
And I said, look, I can't read. I've never read Shakespeare. I don't know nothing about Shakespeare. But I've got this Doctor Who book. I can, I can, I can talk about Doctor Who. So I, I gave a little talk about Doctor Who to these teachers. And they said, yep, that's all right. You can come on. Nowadays, that wouldn't happen. Yeah. You'd have to, you know, read the, read the text as said. And if you don't pass that, read that text. You're, 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 you're not gonna, you're not gonna get in. So that was the, the second thing. And I think, uh, Dr. Ross Cooper was at, at the South London, South London uh, Institute, who was one of the dyslexic, he ran the dyslexia course that I got one of my, my dyslexia qualifications from. He's, he's, he's a brilliant, uh, dyslexia specialist and a musician friend he actually did put together one of his songs for the radio program so he's helped me with my dyslexia stuff earlier on in my career and i'm kind of helping him with his music kind of things <laughs> so dr ross cooper was another kind of person and marissa krupsko is another person who was the real first when i was working at brixton college I, that was my first experience on my first course that I went on and Marissa Kripska was the teacher on that on that course. She was as mad as a badger, but she was a fab teacher. She she used to, she used to she used to she used to do things like look, she used to point at her nose and then she'd point at me and she said, Look, this is how a dyslexic would do it. This is how a dyslexic would do it. And it, it was just it was just kind of, you know, it was it was quite funny, really. Fantastic. But, uh, she was inspirational, you know. Um Marissa Kripsko, I will never forget her. She was fantastic. But yeah, so basically a lot of them involved some, people. some good teachers. Teachers, really. fantastic. Yeah, people. Yeah. And also students. I learned a lot from the students I work with. Most of what I learned and know, as a as, as they say, I hate using that word specialist, but most of what I know about dyslexia and neurodiversity and disability, I've learned from the students and the people that I've worked with. Yeah. That's, that's where I get, you know where it comes from really now this podcast i'm uh, i love mind mapping and brought to you by bullet map academy so we're where we're all about uh mind mapping so i'm fascinated by people's mind mapping journey whether it's positive good some people haven't ever heard of it some people love it some people hate it you know I'm just fascinated to hear what mind mapping has been part of during your journey. What's your experience been of it? Well, I I, I enjoy mind mapping. It's it's um it's it's helped. It's something that a tool that I've used on a lot of the projects that I've done to start initially getting my ideas out. It's a way. It's a way. It's a. It gives you a chance to make a cartoon or a caricature of of, of something that you can then, you know. It's like it's like an initial sketch. You can turn the initial sketch into a full painting. It's part of a process, and every student enjoys doing it their own way. I had one student who who really struggled with mind mapping, and eventually, what we reached was this idea of using a roll of of um, wallpaper. Mm -hmm. And what he did was he, he as as the mind map changed, he just unrolled the wallpaper and added more to it and then added more to it and added more to it. So he was, he was, he was wandering around the university with this roll of wallpaper, which, which was his, which was, you know, what was going on in his head over time. Do you know what I mean? So Fantastic. I thought that was a really, because a lot of mind maps, I think one of the problems with mind maps is that they don't record well over time. I don't think. And his idea of using the wallpaper 
kind of encapsulated it. Yeah, I can go back to what it was like three weeks ago and then, you know, see how, you know, see what's changed. Did I forget anything? You know, it was kind of a brilliant way. I thought it was a the dyslexic mind in action, you know, yeah. problem solved himself. Do you know what I mean? Fantastic. Yeah. Do you do it by hand or with computer? I'm afraid I'm a computer buff. I like, I love computer. I'm very, very, very technology heavy. I, I, I could, I could, I could do it, but it wouldn't, it would be, it would be, a, for me, it would be, um, I just haven't got the necessary, my handwriting is rubbish. I couldn't, yeah. boxes, anything with a box, I hate. Yeah. I cannot stand boxes. And so, um, you know, but each to their own. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, absolutely. With yeah. The wallpaper, whatever works for you. Whatever works for you. That's yeah. the the dyslexia learning toolboxes says, Is this tool working for me? Let's have a look at it. If it isn't, then okay, I've got to stop using this tool and see if we can find a different one. I need to we'll come back to the dyslexia learning toolbox phrase at question nine when we talk about tools for organizing dyslexia and gadgets. Uh, before then, I've got two questions that I ask every one of my guests, and that is what advice would you give your teenage self if you could go back in time to when you were 13 say and you could write a a card to yourself what would the front of the card yeah. be and what would the message on the inside be to yourself i'm, I'm just going to say that it all works out right all right in the end because i don't think without those experiences i may not have gone on to do what i've do, done do you know what i mean without that without my life's road you know, I've gone down some bad roads. I've gone down some good roads. But the thing is that the road that I'm on now and what I've done because I've gone down those roads and learned from the good and the bad has given me the ability to do the dyslexia work that I do and given me the passion for teaching and given me you know, the insight to do what I do more, you know, more effectively. So it would say Does something like it's it's all going to work out in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great and advice to. I, w I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Oh, oh, sorry. Please go. Keep going. No, no. I, I would. I would say. I would say that um, our experiences as dyslexics are, are something we 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 learn from, and and we 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 must always remember that we are always learning, always learners, and um, we can we can overcome mental health issues. We can overcome the self confidence. We can overcome the the mental you know the mental health issues we can yeah but it just takes a bit of luck and it takes yeah, some of the right and, and, people and, and to come into your life as well as you yeah, just that's described right. yeah and you don't yeah absolutely yeah and what about parents what would you advice would you give to parents of children and teenagers with dyslexia many of whom are listening right now in America USA Australia UK wherever there, you're all over the place, I know. What advice would you might you give parents? I think that school for all dyslexic students is a very stressful, difficult place to be. Not only are students learning, trying to learn in class, and they're trying to learn using, and they're being taught by students, by teachers who are generally not taught to work with them effectively. And then, so, and then on top of that, then they're doing extra work as well to try and keep. You know, let's go to the let's go to the specialist and do a bit of spelling and stuff like that. I think w when they come home, 
there needs to what we try what we need to do is to try and support the student and and find things that they can do that they will enjoy doing uh, for me it was music for some people it might be painting it's all it's, it's about giving them the space to um to develop themselves and overcome the kind of stress and anxiety that they they go through on a daily basis at school and as i said before you know dyslexic kids get criticized more or get more negative feedback from teachers than non-dyslexic kids yeah so you know we have to give we have to give our children the space to where home is the safe place where home is the set sorry where home is the safe place and if you're going to if they're going to do homework it's little and often little and often rather than long periods yeah that works with their dyslexic that works with their dyslexic concentration and uh their uh working memory so don't do you know work with that the work with the dyslexic the, the kids short term memory working memory and con and concentration if you if you if you work and work out where when that concentration is starting to wane then you can say okay it's time to go away and do something else yeah and i look at it it's like investing investing in a bank investing in an account do you want a high interest account where you're going to get loads of money or do you want a, a low interest account where you get nothing you want you want to be able to you want to be able to invest your students learning time effectively when their concentration's working when their working memory's working when their short term memory's firing on all thrusters what do you find as that kind of standard time would you say is a good burst of time that you find your students start to you know drop away after uh can i just say i don't think the word standard was ever meant yeah. for the yeah, yeah. sexes no. okay okay <laughs> that's so all i'm going to say let's say um where do you see the pattern uh, it, it, a lot of the time it's just enabling the student to start to recognize when when their when their when their concentration is waning or when their short working memory is not working effectively and when i'm working with a student for an hour i can generally get a feel when their concentration you know they're not they're not focusing on what i'm saying they they're kind of you know fiddling with their pen or whatever it is you tend to get a feel yourself okay. and then we have a conversation we i do i do i i do little graphs one about one about concentration and one about working memory and i i say to them okay let's if you're non-dyslexic your concentration might be high for maybe an hour maybe 40 minutes if you're dyslexic it might be 40 minutes it might be half an hour it might be half. if they're aware if you make them aware that you know your concentration can wane then they can get a feel for it themselves so basically hopefully they'll get a feel for when their concentration is, is waning and they can get up and go and have a cup of tea have a have a walk yeah. you know so little and often it's, i see i see the learning process as working more effectively at little and often rather than long periods of time yeah. because long periods of time working memory will tire uh, and concentration will wane and um, all everybody dyslexic non dyslexic is the same yeah uh, you're wasting you're not investing your time effectively yeah if a student's not concentrating i would my my level is normally about 24 minutes <laughs> yeah well i wouldn't i couldn't go that far <laughs> i i would i i give myself like um you know that pomodoro technique 
Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they say yeah, yeah, 25 Pomodoro, minutes, yeah. take a break. And I've just found that really helpful. Obviously, I can go for longer. Um, but generally speaking, I find if I interrupt it at that point and just have a quick break, it kind of does a refresh and a reset and it helps. And I actually learned that when I was... I, th I learned that from Tony Busan's book, actually, Use Your Head. Have you ever read yeah. that book? I uh, know Busan, yeah, he's, he does, he does, yeah, he does all right, he's like, okay, um, you know. He yeah. talked about that 25 minute, and that was my first exposure to that understanding of how your memory and concentration, concentration sort of fades off, even though you think you're, yeah. you know, still paying attention, you're starting to diminish. I say, to, I say, I like to make things memorable and funny. So I say to my students, when it's time to have a break, what you're doing is giving your chance, your brain a chance to to flush everything down the toilet. Yes. And then you can come back to it with a with a fresh, yeah. fresh mind yeah. and ready ready to tackle. Does that kind of? It's yeah. a hot again. It's a bit. Of, but if it if it's funny and memorable, then it's going to more likely stick in somebody's. A bit of toilet humor head. always uh, helps you remember. Well, you know. So well, I, not, not, no potty, no potty involved. Uh, number nine, last question, your toolbox. Tell us more about what's in your toolbox. What tools do you use for organizing your dyslexia? What gadgets, what apps? Um, what do you, what do you present to your students? What do you use yourself? Tell us a little bit about what's in your toolbox. Uh, the first, the first thing I'm going to say is, that words like discipline, discipline, and words like routine have no meaning to the dyslexic mind, I don't think. And it's very hard for us to develop routines. Yeah. But one of the things, one of the first routines as a social entrepreneur I developed was having a meeting with myself every morning. And at that meeting, I would sit down and say, "Okay, what is it I want to try and achieve today? What two or three things am I going to try and achieve today? I might not achieve all of them, but at least I've got an idea of what I want to try and do." today does that make sense it does and then so in that meeting you can start organizing your time and setting yourself goals now me i just use a book but some people might want to use whatever piece of technology they use alexa is a good thing i think you can use alexa i take it you know what alexa is i, think I do Alexa's yeah how good. how do you yeah. use alexa to have that kind of meeting it helps with lists i can make a list of the three things that i want to do oh okay so you say to alexa Remember, I want to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you just say list, and you list the things that you want to do. Got you. And then, yeah, so that 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 helps. I, I think um, there's there's a lot of kind of uh, assistive technology out there on phones and uh, on computers. It's about finding the one that works for you. That's what I'm wondering so, for you. What is what are your ones that you found really work for you? So you've got that meeting time with yourself. What what are your go tos? Yeah, well, I, what are your hacks? I'm a, I'm a, I'm an old fashioned person. I like Gantt charts a lot. Again, because it works through time. Okay. You can break down a project into time and into. So you know you know what I mean. You you have your project. Okay, I want to do this assignment. Here's the list of the things that I want to do, uh -huh. and then I can start setting myself some goals a timeline so to speak and by doing that i can i've got a list of the things that i want to do and i've got an idea of when i want to have it done by and the good thing about the the gantt chart is that it, at the end i always say i always have a box that says proofread okay because the number of dyslexics i work with who finish the assignment just in time not to give it a proofread yeah because they haven't left them time 
and that proofread could mean the difference between a pass and a fail. It could be mean the difference between a C and a B, or a, you know, yeah, because we do, you know, we, we you know, we, we, but because, because, because most of the time we try to work out these things in our head because we don't like to write things down uh, in any kind of way. Uh, that that having that thing in your Gantt chart is a good idea. The same you can do the same thing with uh with uh what they call that thing uh, a Gantt chart and uh what's the other thing a round thing in the quarters round thing into quarters yeah not into quarters but you know you can divide your time like a clock face but you divide it into sections I don't know that so you could have okay so don't worry but and we're going to go back to the Gantt chart with the Gantt chart that can be the go-to place for links to work assignments it can be the go-to place where where you've got all your graphics, where you've got, so you've got one place where you can go to when you're starting your, one of the things I found most annoying about computers is that, is that things are all over the place. Your yeah. pictures are here, your writing's here, your music's there, and you've got to, there's always, a, you know, and everything goes into its own little folder or file or whatever, and you've got to, you spend a lot of time finding stuff, searching for stuff, and I think the Gantt chart helps with that okay i've because never really a used a gantt chart and how did you learn to use a gantt chart um i went on a leadership course <laughs> and um was told about gantt charts there and then i also went on an entrepreneur's course i went on the inaugural scotland can do course for entrepreneurs and a lot of the entrepreneurs i was talking with from america and new zealand and all over the place you know, we, 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 some of them were using Gantt charts quite well. For, it's really for projects rather yes. than, but if you adapt it, you know, you can adapt it to do assignment stuff, you know, or, yeah. or to plan, plan things. It's a good way of reminding yourself. Fantastic. Keeping, you know, setting yourself, setting yourself goals. Here's my list of things that I need to do and, and keeping yourself on target. Okay. Does so you've got your daily meeting with yourself. Uh, for what you want to achieve in a day. You've got your Gantt chart to do projects. What other things yeah. have you got in your toolbox that you go to regularly? Uh, member, I have my memory book. Your memory book? What is that? My memory book. My memory book is just a notepad. Uh-huh. Where, so if I'm traveling on a bus and, a, and a, an idea that I've been mulling over comes to me, which, you know, very often... Uh, what I find is I'm stuck. I can't get the word out. I can't get the thought out for some reason. And if sometimes inspiration will come to me and I've got my book and I can just scribble down what it is that's come out, the idea that's come out. And then later on I can go, does that make sense? The inspiration will hit me. Yeah. Yeah. So I may have, I may have, I may have um, struggled remembering something to do with one of my, one of my projects or a word for one of my projects. And um, rather than tr struggle trying to remember and interrupting, I'll you know I'll leave it, and then I'll hopefully that will come bubble to the top when I'm when I'm more relaxed. And then you use your dark, memory please. book to capture it before it disappears. Yeah, before it gets disappears. Yeah, I think so. I, I think it's a lot of students I work with find that a useful thing to do. Not all, but a lot of students I work with find it a, a good way. It's very low tech. Fantastic. I do the same thing. I, I, I call it a journal. And even I used to have a moleskin that I just used to write it all in and love my moleskins, etc. And then I got my iPad Pro 
And even once I got the iPad Pro, I ended up, I couldn't take just individual sheets of notes. I had to kind of create a journal inside my iPad Pro. So I'd have a monthly journal where I wrote down all my ideas as they came and doodles and so on, similar. Yeah, the iPads I love. I've got my iPad Pro and I really, I really do like it. It's got a reasonably good mind mapping function on it. Uh, and you can talk into it, you know. So it, uh, I, I like the iPad Pro quite a lot. Do you use the pencil I think the with it? With the technology, sorry. Do you use the pencil sorry? with it? I haven't got one. I, unfortunately, I haven't got the money to buy a pencil for it oh. as much as I'd like to. Well, if you if you ever think about it, um, I highly recommend uh, you know the pencil. And I know the pencil's like a hundred quid, but you can get the crayon, which is an orange version of it, that's fifty quid. I, yeah. I highly recommend it as a birthday or Christmas present or something because uh, it just releases so much functionality in terms of drawing and sketching. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Other than I, I'm very low tech when it comes to the memory stuff, really. Yeah. What yeah. final kind of thoughts do you have that you'd like to share? I, I'm interested. People might be interested in. Uh, any projects you've got on the go? Uh, you were talking about the the music, etc. Anything else that you'd like to share with people? That uh, I've just I've actually put together a mind map for a, a new project that I'm going to approach the lottery fund with, and um, it's basically uh, a project because we're all isolated. Already, dyslexic many dyslexic feel isolated. So it's all about doing something uh, to enable people to overcome the isolation. Okay. So again, it's going to focus in on on creativity uh, and not too much on literacy because I want to reach out to people. I want to. I'm trying to reach out, like with the uniqueness section, people with, who've struggled with literacy all their lives, and I, and I don't want the literacy to get in the way. Yeah. So what's the plan? I I'd, I'd, I'd have to have it in front of me and which i haven't got it in okay, front of me because right. i'm talking to you so yeah <laughs> but but the idea idea is to to like for example i'm using i'm using adobe edition for my radio programs okay so one of the one of the strands would be okay let's let's teach people how to use adobe audition but in order for people to have adobe audition you have to find funding that will give them access that will enable them to buy a computer so that they can access the Adobe Audition. Does that make sense? It does. What so is for many that, people, what is useful about Adobe Audition? Out of interest, I don't know it. It's 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 a great program for doing webcasts and and and, and things. So it's a basically a, a a recording, a way of recording stuff. Okay. So you can build a radio program. So you can do a multi mix on it. So you can have your voice, you can have your interviews, you can have your music, and you can mix it all together in separate tracks into a proper recording so that would be one of the strands another one of the strands would be to look at things like assistive technology to introduce people to assistive technology on 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 not on ipad but on the um but on 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 pads assistive technology like on pads. Uh, is it surface pro like the microsoft surface something something a bit cheaper than that the um the uh, uh the amazon Kindle. What's it called? Kindle. Yeah, the Amazon Kindle. Yeah, and this, if, if people are given access to the Kindle, then they can start talking to other people with other, their Kindles. They can reach out. We can we can make links with people in America, uh, similar to the what we did with the unique dyslexic thing. 
where we, we, we just had a, we set up a forum where people could come together and share ideas, share their thoughts on, on, on a Facebook page. It was at the time. Okay. Really the, really the Kindle thing. So it's all these kind of creativity type things that will hopefully bring to bring people together and sharing ideas and sharing support. And you know, one, one of the other things is to offer, um, offer um, free assessment and free screening as well. So that would be great. As I said before, I, only about 19% of dyslexic adults were assessed at school. So that's quite a number. How do you so think? There's a, there's a whole gamut of things. How would you manage to get free assessments working? Well, I would say that there is a, a piece of software from from Pico, Pico Electronics. They they do a uh, they do an online test, online full assessment and a full screening. I can't remember again. You're asking me to remember names, and I'm terrible with names. You, me too. you know that. Me so, too. so that costs about, I think it costs about three hundred and fifty pounds a year. And if you was, if I was to be lucky enough to get the lottery funding, then that would be paid for by the lottery funding. Okay. And so then you could offer free screening and free, free assessment to anybody who come on the project. I see. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Steve, yeah. it's been great um, speaking to you, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. It's been great. Okay. Thank you. And if you're listening and you want to know more. We are going to put links to Steve's stuff in the show notes. And just a quick plug for Bullet Map Academy. We help people organize their thoughts visually using mind mapping, kids, teenagers, uh, and adults. And one of the things that we're doing at the moment is some workshops, online workshops. You can go check them out at bulletmapacademy.com forward slash workshop and check that out and find out more. I've got a few more podcast guests coming up in the future. You'll enjoy them. And thank you very much for listening. So, Steve, thanks very much for being here. Okay. So, if anybody wants to ask a question, they can, they're quite welcome okay. to ask a question. Yeah. And, and if anybody you. wants to share, yeah. And if anybody wants to share what they do creatively, artwork, photography, if, if they cook, then come along to Unique Dyslexic uh, Get Creative page on Facebook and, sh and share, share, share. It's a it's okay. a it's a it's a friendly environment great unique dyslexic environment and we'll put that in the comments as well steve so people can just click through and comment on the podcast and on your facebook page okay thank you very much